This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings from iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled My Iranian Revolution. My author, John Robert Tipton, joins me from California. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Pleasure to visit with you. I understand this is a, a fictional work, but it also is uh, somewhat based on your experiences in Iran. Tell me a little of your history and uh, why you decided you wanted to be an author. Well, I had never written anything, and I wanted to try my hand at writing a story. I chose to write my story about Iran, its people, their culture, their language, and their revolution. I was familiar with this as I had lived and worked in downtown Tehran during the time of the revolution. My story would subsequently develop into a hobby, and I would write on my hobby over a period of seven years before producing a manuscript suitable for publication as an action-adventure novel based on my true experiences. Now, you have talked about this being based on your, your experiences. You also talk about the revolution. Explain to my listeners what revolution you're referring to. Oh, it's the Iranian Revolution. Back in the 70s, uh, correct? Late 70s? Yes, d- during 1979. 70, well, I got there in 77, and I left uh, in 79. Uh, the time that you were there was, uh, I guess, a little more peaceful than it is right now and a little more open to the Western culture. Did you find it to be a, uh, a place that was amenable to, to, to you and the work you were, you were doing at the time? Oh, very much so, yes. I, uh, I lived with the Persians. I worked with them. Um, I learned their language, and I grew comfortable with their culture. Uh, do you still, are you still able to, to speak? I, think, I believe it's Farsi, correct? Is that the correct? Yes, language? that's correct. Yes, I, I took two courses in, uh, in Farsi during 1978, and all the Farsi that I used in my book is from my memory of, what, 37 years ago. Phenomenal. Uh, when you began to write this book, who did you have in mind? Is this uh, one of those action-adventure type novels, or how would you describe it? Well, it's uh, it's an action-adventure novel. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, historical novel, and uh, it's action-adventure, and based on my, like I said, based on my true experiences. And uh, so I, I, I included some fiction in there, but most of it is uh, is true. Tell tell us about your your primary character. Is it, you say it's action adventure? Is this one with a lot of um, uh, you know? Well, I won't say. I guess the easy way to say it is car chases and and uh, you know bombs blowing up and and that type of action adventure, or is it a little more character driven? Well, it's it's it's. It's just character-driven, I would say. Uh, uh, one of the most exciting things that happened, I guess, was was when our uh, building was attacked by the revolutionists. They set it on fire, 
and we had uh, three people, three employees trapped in the building at the time, and I, I, I included that in my book. That was a five-story building, if I understand the way you have outlined it in the book. Is that uh, true, to, true to form? Was that uh, based on fact? Yes, yes. It's a five-story building. It's just a few blocks from the U.S. Embassy. And it's a, it was a government office building, so it was a uh, target. You're, do you have a main character, or are there just a composite of several characters that you have uh, have focused on in this story? Well, the main character is me. Ah. I, uh, it's, it's my adventure. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And and as an adventurist and as the main character in this novel, uh, is there? You say it's an action adventure. Is there intrigue also? I mean, what what is the 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 primary focus of uh, you you as a character in this book? What are you trying to achieve? Well, I go there for a job, and uh, I get swept up in the, into a uh, great adventure, uh, which involves more than just the revolution. Uh, is this a book that's going to primarily appeal to guys like me? Uh, well, maybe not guys like me, but just gentlemen. Or is there also some aspects of this that will appeal to the the ladies in the audience? Well, I would think that it would it would appeal to just about anyone. Um, it's an action adventure bill, uh, book filled with uh, ex- excitement and intrigue, uh, but it also uh, it puts a face on the Persians. It introduces you to Iran. And um, anyone who would want to learn about the beauty of Iran and its people or the excitement of the revolution would enjoy reading the book, I think. Well, fabulous. Uh, there are uh, other books, I'm guessing, that will deal with Iran. Is, is your book different or is it unique from your perspective? What do you think will make this story stand out to my listeners? Well, it's the only novel written about the Iranian Revolution. Uh, the other books are history books. This is not a history book. It's it's a novel. So uh, it's, it's the only one. <laughs> the only one at this point that you know of. The, yes. the story is obviously, from your perspective, as you've mentioned, uh, it does have uh, factual content, but also a, a great imagination, I'm sure. Have you always had an, an imagination? Have you always had a storytelling ability, or is this something that's developed later as you have uh, have matured in, in life? Well, I think uh, it's something that developed over time, over a lifetime. You can't yeah, you can't really tell a story when you're when you're uh, you know, like that when you're a young person. It takes a life lifetime of experiences to uh, to write something like this. I think. And and where does your story take place? I know it does take place in Tehran, but uh, is there other geographical locations? Where does it uh, primarily start? Uh, my story takes place in Texas, in Iran in Afghanistan, in Greece, Turkey, and Hawaii. Now, when I grew up in Texas, since I grew up in Texas, I was working for a te- and I was working for a Texas-based company while in Iran. I included a couple of parts of Texas in my book. Now, most of my book takes place in Iran, primarily in Tehran, where I lived, although other parts of the book take place in Shiraz and Persepolis, 
in southern Iran and Mahmud on the Caspian Sea coast. Now, during 1978, while I was living in Tehran, I visited Kabul, Afghanistan for a week as a tourist, and I included this in my book. Now, when my main character escapes from Iran, he travels through Athens, Istanbul, and Honolulu on his way back to the U.S. Are there, are there specific words that have popped out since you've described uh, your adventures in, in this fictional novel? There are, I'm sure, some things that maybe you hadn't planned to talk about or maybe uh, a, a moral to the story that perhaps developed as you were sharing the insight of your main character. Let's, let's put it this way. How would you introduce this book to someone that is not familiar with Iran or maybe the backdrop of this story? Well, again, it's, um, it's an action-adventure novel based on my true experiences. Uh, I did add some things to uh, add to the excitement, but uh, it's, uh, and, and the story. So, um, but it tells a uh, story and uh, takes place over a couple of couple of years couple of years and since it was set in the 70s is there a, maybe a word or two that would describe the characters that you have uh, created the three words that would best describe my main character are adventurous and fatally flawed he's adventurous as he goes to iran for a job and becomes swept up in a great adventure and i gave him several flaws which included a troubling fatal flaw. And I'm guessing, uh, since you were using yourself as a model in this, uh, that does not include you. I mean, I'm I'm guessing you've uh, created that for the character. Oh, no, I I don't really have that fatal flaw. (laughs) That's uh, good good to hear. It was something I created for my my character. (laughs) I want to to just make sure that you're okay. Uh, Challenging. There's a lot of uh, difficulty in in creating a novel, uh, either time constraints or character development. What were the uh, challenges in writing this, and and how rewarding? rewarded do you feel upon completion well the most challenging part of the book was simply making sure it was well written making it right and getting it good i wanted to write a book that i would like to read when they would keep my attention it had to move quickly and it had to be filled with excitement and intrigue now one of the ways i achieved this was by taking myself notes If I had a fleeting thought relevant to writing my book, I would write my thought down before I would forget it. And I would take myself over 500 notes to write the book. There must be a fun conclusion about this uh, besides fulfilling a dream of your own. Is there any other part that was just one of those aha, this is fun moments? Well, now the the most I'd say the most fun part was including several fun type stories from the far side. These stories will delight the reader. So I'm getting from your conversation that although this might be a serious novel, there is also some enjoyment and uh, escapism oh, that you've yeah, included definitely. in here. <laughs> well, fabulous, yeah. John. Have you had any uh, feedback from those who have read your book? I'd like to mention a couple of things in uh, 2014. I entered my book in the Southern California Book Festival in Los Angeles. My book was the winner of the general fiction category, and I went to Hollywood to attend the award ceremony at the Roosevelt Hotel, Fabulous. which was 
which was a lot of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And in 2017, my book was reviewed by Pacific Book Review and was awarded their starred review for excellence. So I just wanted to add... That's a great achievement for a first-time author, and congratulations. What, about 150 pages or so? Uh, I think 157. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you for joining me today. My author, John Robert Tipton. The title of the book, again, is My Iranian Revolution. And, sir, I know my listeners will want to get a copy of this, and uh, maybe at some point uh, go see the movie if it's ever produced. That would be great. (laughs) Where do they get a copy of it, sir? At Amazon online and at Barnes & Noble online. And at the uh, publisher, uh, Universe. Excellent. They can do a, a search under your name if they go to their local bookseller and the, the book is not in stock. They can order it there by uh, yeah. getting it under your name, John Robert Tipton, and by the title, My Iranian Revolution. Thank you again, sir, for joining me today and sharing your story. Well, thank you, Jay. Best of luck with this in the future. My Bye pleasure now. for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Found Treasure, Gems of Great Leadership and Personal Skills. And joining me from California is author Lloyd Skip Amster. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I've been enjoying reading the books. I haven't the book. I haven't read it in its entirety, but I did get a, a general uh, feel for your style of writing. Share with my listeners a little of your background and why you have been an obso- observational style of uh, a writer and uh, leader. I literally have been kind of in a leadership role my entire life starting in college and progressing forward. But uh, I actually spent 33 years with State Farm Insurance, and during most of that time, I was a leader for them, uh, an executive in sales. And so I got the opportunity to see all kinds of good behavior and bad behavior. 
and I've tried to duplicate the good behavior and eliminate those things that I thought weren't all that positive. Now, the stories you have included in your book, the first two especially, one has to do with a gentleman who's, like many of us, who's sedentary in his lifestyle and in his work environment, and two individuals in that same office. One is thin and healthy. The other one is a little bit on the pudgy side from overeating and bad food choices. You, you highlight that story, and then another one that follows that has to do with sales and sales management and a, a meeting that uh, many of us who have been in marketing and sales in our history uh, can relate to, where the the leadership comes in and kind of rakes everybody over the coals. Now, are these taken from absolutely uh, true stories, or are these things that you have just observed and, and composited into a storyline? Uh, they're primarily things that I observed, and then I tried to put them into an entertaining uh, storyline so that people could enjoy reading the material as well as getting the benefit. But they're all based on actual experiences that I've had in one source or another. You have also used the the alliterative uh, term or the alliterative style of uh, using the five F's for a successful life. What are those five F's, and how do those relate to our readers? Well, you know, in reality, we all we all experience this. So the first F is actually people are going to foul up. I foul up actually at least several times a day. Uh, once you foul up, the most important thing is is that you have to fess up, uh, and that's something I see a lot of today where that's not happening. Uh, then the third one is once you fouled up and fessed up, you need to fix whatever it is that you did. Uh, oftentimes the fix is shoved off onto somebody else, and there's no learning in that for the person who fouled up. Uh, the next one is is to uh, forget about it. I see a lot of people that are carrying wounds that were done to them or they did to themselves many years ago, which are impacting their life at the present in a negative way. Uh, and so you need to move past it. And finally, my son helped me to identify the fact that uh, I needed a fifth one, and that was forgiveness. Apparently, he thought I wasn't really good at that. (laughs) So uh, forgiveness is, again, realizing that when you forgive, it's more powerful for the person who is forgiving than the person who is forgiven. So uh, so that that's kind of the core of my whole leadership style is those five Fs. There's also that aspect of forgiveness that uh, sometimes many of us have difficulty with, and that's forgiving ourselves. Is that also something that you address in your book? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you just cannot be burdened with all of your mistakes and then move forward. You have to be able to say, okay, that that's done. I now need to move to the next issue. But in the process, you have to learn from the experiences that you had. You have uh, highlighted some uh, famous uh, individuals and, and uh, I guess, philosophies they have had. Theodore Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt is one that you say, in, a, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing, and the worst thing you can do is, any, is nothing. Uh, that also is a, a stunning fact of life that many of us are frozen on our steps when it comes to decision-making. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and, and the other side to that is is that most of those comments made in the book are talking about thoughtful action rather than a, an emotional action. We see too much of people, uh, too much of the activity leads to being emotionally hijacked. And at that point in time, people don't make good decisions. 
uh, skip in your writing the book is this uh, are the, these notes and the ideas and the concepts are they something that you have shared in a public setting in public speaking and and maybe in sales and marketing meetings oh absolutely i've done public speaking going back to my high school days so that was one of my major roles and uh, it's always fun to be able to do that and it, it's it's important that you get the audience to react to your statements and every time I brought these things to bear people are nodding their head and saying yes I did that yesterday and and uh, I experienced that and so on so it's it's material that's very easy to relate to did you write this primarily for people in marketing and business or is this something that anybody across the board would benefit from I think across the board uh, I think it would be very effective reading for people who are moving into leadership roles, but it really involves personal skills more than anything else. Uh, a great leader is always going to be someone who can relate to the people that they're attempting to lead. So, uh, And we lead every day in all kinds of different ways. So I think it's pretty broad. As a writer, are you also a journalist? In other words, do you keep notes of things that have occurred, or do you just have one of those uh, fascinating me- memories that can recall things in, an, in a flash? According to my wife, I don't have the second. I don't have that memory <laughs> thing in a flash. Right. But uh, I do take, I, I've always been a note-taker and an observer. So I try to hold back in terms of making a statement until it is that I've thoroughly observed what's going on, try to evaluate it. So I'm making good observations. That's a wonderful skill just in itself. Most of us want to step in and uh, give an opinion immediately once we uh, analyze or sum up a, a situation. I know I have that problem interpersonally with a family family setting. <laughs> um, my wife is always asking me how to fix stuff, and I tell her how to fix it, and she says she's not ready for me to give an answer yet. Uh, I'm, I'm a little too quick on the, on the uptake. Instead of just nodding my head and saying, yes, I understand uh, what you're talking about. Uh, this is the same kind of interpersonal skill you have developed for business then exactly exactly i mean what you do at home and what you do at work uh has has a lot of similarities uh and the important part is is that people feel that you're a person of integrity that you stand behind what you say and when you make a mistake you step forward and acknowledge that you have and then you begin to the to uh, try to fix it and make it right and so that's that's a critical factor in everybody's life in addition to the five f's for successful life are there other key skills that build on that or are developed from that? Uh, exactly. Uh, the, the thing about how one presents themselves when it is that they have made a mistake, the conversations that they have, the way that they deal with their supervisors or, as you said, a family member or spouse, really critical as to how you deliver your message uh, and making sure that it's not self-serving, but it really hits the points necessary. So, yes, that's highlighted throughout the book. Skip, what motivated you to share your history and your insight with the world in, in print form? Uh, I, as a, a senior executive, I saw as I retired uh, a, a new breed of individual coming into the business world and so on. And because we're in a world that moves so quickly, many of them were not getting a lot of help when it came to developing their skills. And I thought that it would be highly a positive on my part 
to be able to provide my experiences so maybe some of those people as they are progressing could just get a little bit of a jump start and uh, live through my experiences and maybe make better decisions earlier. So that was pretty much what it was. I've noticed also in your book you've included some what I would call verbal or mental exercises to uh, address certain aspects of growth and leadership. These are the types of things that also might fit well into a sales or marketing team and into uh, maybe even a, a classroom situation. And Did you have that in mind? Uh, all of the above. Uh, it's important that uh, it's just the, the process of interacting with people and getting people to appreciate what it is that you're attempting to do. Again, someone is not going to, in a sales situation, buy a product if they often don't trust the person who's doing the presenting. So it's developing all those skills so that by the time you're interacting with others, that they have a true belief that you are looking out for their interests and really doing the right things. Important, important skills and important wisdom that you're sharing. What was the length of time it took, besides a lifetime of uh, skill set, to accomplish getting this in print form? Uh, it, uh, it, it spanned probably about four years, uh, primarily because I'm retired and I, I understood and learned the word manana tomorrow. Uh, yes. So occasionally I would have surges and then I would back away. But the reality of it is it was about a two-year project when you look at the actual work that was done. Any major challenges that you didn't anticipate that had to be overcome? Yes, there were, there were many. Uh, I have written a great deal in the past, but nothing quite like this. I had to really pare down a lot of my materials so that it was uh, reader-friendly and uh, short enough to get to the point where people said, okay, I could read that and really walk away with some good things. So I think uh, cutting out the unnecessary and getting down to the core issues. In uh, sharing this with others, have you had an opportunity to get some feedback or some uh, responses from others in leadership? Oh, yes, yeah, lots of feedback. All, all of which has been incredibly positive. The way the book is structured, some people will go to a particular chapter uh, that covers an area where they're struggling in that particular area. So it's not necessarily a book where you read it from chapter one to the end. Uh, so many have come back and said, I use this chapter to be able to help me on this issue and so on. So uh, it really, really is something you can refer to and try to get some information for something you might be facing tomorrow. Fabulous. And reflecting back on what you have accomplished so far in this print, is there another book in the future? Uh, certainly that's, that's some, somewhat of a thought, um, but I'm, I'm certainly interested in launching this one and getting the proper reaction, uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. It's a fabulously done book. Again, it's a conversational in style. I think that uh, anybody would benefit from reading this. If you interact with any human on the planet, and maybe even a few puppies and cats and kitty cats, uh, you would also find this of benefit. The title of the book, again, is Found Treasure, Gems of Great Leadership and Personal Skills. My guest joining me from California is author Lloyd Skip Amstrup. Sir, where do we get copies of your book? Uh, it's online. It's it's uh, at Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Uh, it's all over the internet. So uh, one just simply needs to put in the title, and it'll pop up for you. Excellent. And the last name is spelled A M S T R U P. If you're looking and doing a search online, and uh, 
you know, in a, in a gentle way, stalking the author. Uh, again, thank you, Skip, for joining me today and sharing your story. I, I look forward to talking with you in the future. I think this is a book that would be a great addition to anybody's library, especially if you're in leadership or if you have a need of developing your skills or feel the need to maybe improve in some areas that uh, relate to others. Thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book is The Third Journey. Making the most of your life after work. Well, that's a fascinating idea. Olderhood.com founders William R. Story and Robin W. Trimmingham, co-authors of this wonderful book, join me from Bermuda. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having us, Jay. Well, it's a pleasure to visit with you. I uh, am fascinated by your book. It is uh, 226 pages, and it's well-researched. How did you become an expert on the third journey, and what is it? We fell into this quite accidentally uh, because Bill was planning to take early retirement from one of the major banks here on the island. And Bill is not the sit-around type, so he was looking for something to do, and we'd known each other for a long time. So he, he was, he's always liked to write, and uh, he was thinking about doing a blog. Yeah, so really what happened, um, Jay, was that, um, you know, Robin Jay, when I took early retirement, uh, I I kind of started to look at my own pension fund. Uh, and I have to say it wasn't huge uh, because I'd only been with the company uh, for about five or six years. But nonetheless, it was my money. Uh, so I thought it would be a good idea to get it invested properly and stuff like that. But uh, when I started to ask around, you know, with pension providers and stuff like that. You know, everybody was very nice and they were very professional, but they really weren't, uh, you know, kind of answering my questions. Um, so, kind of, you know, one one thing led to another, mm. and I realised that it might be an idea to try and put some of my thoughts on paper. Uh, so I started to write about, you know, how to how to transition from, you know, a busy working life to. Um, a retirement life, how to, you know, what to look for in your pension, 
and stuff like that. And that's how the whole thing started. And the blog uh, called Older Hood, the blog is, you know, has been running for just over three years, and that's kind of what started this entire process. It's a fascinating uh, idea, only because. As someone who is on the precipice of retirement age, if uh, if I might uh, confess that, in fact, I'm probably uh, past that, I uh, I am not looking at a future where I'm doing nothing. I'm not comfortable with that. And most older citizens of the universe, uh, when they get to, say, 55, 60 years old, may be looking forward to sitting around, playing golf, uh, maybe joining a bridge club or some other type of activity, that, and maybe traveling extensively. But there are restrictions that happen to everyone in their lives. Uh, in my case, uh, financially, because I've been self-employed, the uh, the resources are not there. What do you suggest to people who, who are in that predicament? Uh, many have to go to work, and uh, there are retailers that that look to senior adults for for uh, their work, their labor force. Is that something that you feel comfortable with recommending? Well, the number one thing, Jay, is for pe- people need to start to think about their lives entirely differently. Uh, when you and I were born, you know, the actuaries had an idea how long we were going to live. Right. But medical advances in healthcare have completely changed, you know, how long you can expect to live. And when you combine that with the fact that there have been studies done which demonstrate that the average human body, yours, mine, Bill's, everybody's, was actually designed to last 120 years. Mm. And when you think about it from that perspective, I mean, most of us aren't even coming close to living up to our uh, personal potential in terms of longevity. So the thing that people need to wrap their minds around is unlike our grandparents who worked really hard and then maybe were retired for a couple of years and passed away, we can expect to live 30 years in retirement. So, yes, the money question is very important because most of us don't have pensions that will support us for that amount of time. But the bigger question is, what are we going to do with all of that time? Absolutely. I mean, as much as being, uh, you know, working in retail or being a greeter in a shopping mall is definitely an option for an older person. 30 years of doing that is a really long time. Yes. So what, what we're trying to encourage people to do is to really, you know, open up, dig down inside themselves and think about, you know, when I was in high school, what did I really want to be? What's that dream lurking inside me, that thing I've always wanted to do that I just sort of eats away at me because I never got round to it? I think, one of the, I think one of the points about the financial side of things, which we do uh, address in the book, I mean, we don't give financial advice, but we do discuss finances and the impact of finance, uh, especially if you don't have that much. The, the financial issue... It's very simple to say that when you're 35, 45, 50, 55, that you need to save as much as you can for as long as you can. You know, I mean, that's, yes. that's great advice. But, you know, a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. And it's not that easy to put away, you know, any more. And some people just can't put any away. So... But one of the things that we talk about in the book is that once you go, go over that threshold, the retirement threshold, 
whether that's 65 or before or after, don't matter. Once you go across that threshold, you can't turn the clock back. And what I mean by that is that you cannot say, hey, listen, I'll go and get a second job or I'll go work overtime. It's not that easy. You know, one, something really funny happens when you do turn 65 mm-hmm. is the night before your birthday, you, you know, you go, to, you go to bed as a very smart, clever person. And then <laughs> for some reason, the next morning when you wake up, you're stupid, according to you know, uh-huh. a lot of people in, in the workforce. So, you know, to, to get a, a new job, uh, you can change career, obviously. But, you know, once you get to a, a certain age, the business community kind of looks at you as being over the hill. Uh, so, yeah, you know, as Robin said, you can go and be, you know, work at Walmart or something like that, which is great. Uh, but, you know, you're not going to be making the same money that you were making. And you have to remember that as you get older, your physical ability to lift boxes, for example, may start to, you know, diminish. So it's a very, very difficult, you know, difficult subject, to, you know, the financial planning. You've done a beautiful job of uh, outlining the book into multiple chapters, and one of the, I guess, the first of the of several chapters that really leads the reader into a, a world of, of good advice is overcoming the fear of change. Many of us are, especially when they reach retirement age, are very fearful about the future because to them it's, uh, well, I, I'm not of any value anymore. That's one of the things that's, that that change uh, implements. You talk about managing the hard and soft impacts of, of aging process, uh, illness, uh, maybe having to go through the dating process again if your partner has, has passed away. How, do, how have you been able to soften the blows of those through your advice? Well, we are really very uh, practical people. And throughout the book, we try and offer a lot of tips and suggestions and ideas to get people started. Uh, you brought up the, the fear of change. Yes. That's one of the biggest stumbling blocks for older people. And it doesn't matter whether you're naturally a positive person or a person who struggles with positivity. Because, you know, the further we go in life, the more we like to think that we're, you know, we're adults, we're in control, we know who we are. And then all of a sudden, things change that are out of our control. You know, our bodies change, our circumstances change, uh, you know, the friends we've had a long time move away or, you know, are less mobile and we can't see them. And we find ourselves starting from scratch at a point in our lives when we, in some ways, we're least prepared for it. You really have to embrace the idea that, you know, this third phase of your life is your opportunity to get out there and do new things. Absolutely. You have to wake up in the morning with the mindset, you know, okay, it's another day and what can I do that I have never done before? Because this is the time in your life when you're actually free. You may or may not have lots of money. You may or may not have perfect health. But what you do have is your freedom. So the more that you can embrace the idea of allowing change into your life, the more things that you can actually experience. Yes, and you've you've highlighted in your book the the names of some well known high-profile individuals like Grandma Moses and others whose whose career really didn't take off until after what we would normally call retirement age. Well, or another way to look at it is there are people who really got the, uh, the notion that you never stop working, you never stop learning, you never stop growing. 
And, you know, this is particularly true of people in the scientific field. They're always puttering with something. You know, a chemist doesn't just say, okay, I'm retired, I'm no longer a chemist. They, they'll keep doing stuff. Yes, that's true. I think, I, think, I think most of us, as we've got older, we recognize that the body, um, is, you know, is on the backside of the slope. <laughs> so, so that's okay. But I think sometimes that we, what we do forget uh, or just bypass it, ignore it, whatever, is what, what I think we would call wisdom, that over the years, whether it's through education or just knowledge or experience or whatever, there has been a reservoir of wisdom that all of us have, have built up over those years. Uh, and, and I think that's where, you know, when it comes to finding something new to do, um, that you don't necessarily have to do physical labor. You don't have to necessarily stay in your, you know, your previous type of, of work. Uh, but you can use the wisdom that's, that's there. And I, and, I, and I think, certainly from the research that we've done, that you know, a lot of people just don't want to recognize that. Uh, maybe they're shy, maybe they're embarrassed, etc. But the fact is, the fact is that you know, you've got tons of wisdom, and if you can start to apply that, then you, know, you can really bring that out into a very, very meaningful uh, occupation, if I can use the word. Yes, absolutely. And another thing is PMA, or positive mental attitude. That certainly has an impact on your current health and also on your future uh, viewpoints. I, I was uh, look, looking at an interview the other day of a uh, humorist uh, in the United States, Carl Reiner, who's written a lot of uh, material for television and has been around for a number of years. He's now 95 years old. And in the interview, he indicated that he just looks forward to waking up every morning because he's got the projects that he's working on. He's trying to do more writing. He's just excited about the future. And that uh, has something to do, I'm guessing, with uh, his positive mental attitude. Well, I think that people who can keep, keep, keep inventing a reason for themselves to be here are the ones that do the best. Uh, you know, George Burns was still performing in his 90s. Absolutely. And my old father is 84. He still lives in his own condo. He cooks, he cleans, he writes, he paints, he does photography, and helps to care for my niece after school. <laughs> He's busier than a lot of 50-year-olds. That's incredible. And, you know, so the more that you uh, can just add color to your life, in new ways, the better. And this can be true even if you are on a very limited budget, which is what we started talking about at the very beginning of this conversation. You know, what happens when you have a very limited budget and the kitchen faucet breaks? You know, you can sit there and have a meltdown over the fact that you need a plumber, you can't afford one. Or you can Google how to change a faucet and give it a go yourself. And I say this stuff to women all the time. I mean, so what if you've never changed a faucet before? You know, if you can get that thing off and take it to the hardware store, you know, somebody there will look at it and go, okay, well, you need one like this. So you take it home and you give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? That's true. Oh, you need to call a plumber. Well, by that point, you've already saved yourself money because you've got the parts that are required. And heaven forbid, you might actually manage to fix it. To fix it. Mm. Absolutely. In fact, I, I read a story of uh, uh, an individual lady who had never 
I, I think, even owned a hammer in her lifetime, built her own home by watching instructions on, on the Internet. So there are ways to, to learn and do things. The title of the book, The Third Journey, what, how would you describe this? Uh, who is the, the, the market that's going to benefit from this? I can think of many, but what is your perspective on it? That's a, that's a great question, uh, because I think when we started, I think we looked at the demographic, certainly from our blog and our Facebook page and stuff like that. We've got about 75,000 followers um, over social media around the world. We're in about 20, 25 countries. Uh, so we had tons of you know, people to give us information. And I, and I think what happened was that we, we intended to write it for people who were approaching retirement, I mean, maybe in the age 60 group, 62, 63, 64. That was kind of where we started. As we progressed over, you know, the research and, and we do workshops and stuff like that, as we progressed through that exercise, we began to realize that we needed to turn the dial, we call it, you know, backwards, down a bit. Uh, you know, through the age demographic. Um, and I think at the end of the day, by the time the book was published, we were really, you know, aiming at people from anything like 35 upwards. Because, I mean, clearly there are parts of the book that are more appropriate for 60-year-olds, but there are parts of the book that are more appropriate for, you know, 42, 45-year-olds. I, you know, it's not a universal chapter-by-chapter chapter book for every single demographic. The idea, we believe, and certainly this is being proven thus far, is that people would use it eh, somewhat as a reference, kind of a guide. Yes. You know, that they have a particular problem or a particular issue, uh, and they kind, of, they kind of go to the book and see what we're saying about this particular issue. But they don't have to necessarily read the next chapter, which is of something that's of no interest to them. We understand that. That's fine. That's great. Um, so it's not a novel. You know, when you start at the beginning of the book, page one, and you get to page 220 and say, wow, that was a great book, you can if you want, obviously. But you can cherry pick where you jump in and where you jump back out. So I think the answer to your question is anything from about age 35, 40 upwards, uh, male, female. Uh, we also found from a universal point of view that the, 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 you know, the issues that people have as they approach retirement um, you know, in, in Oregon are the same as people are the same age group in Okinawa and Japan. So, so it's, a, it's a very, very kind of worldwide universal approach. And your writing style, I will mention this, is very, very conversational. It's easy to read. It's it's engaging. It's not uh, stiff and starchy. It's it's wonderfully done with a lot of subtopics inside of each chapter, each of the 15 chapters. The title, again, is The Third Journey, Making the Most of Your Life After Work. My guest authors who have joined me from Bermuda, William R. Story and Robin W. Trimmingham. Thank you for joining me today. Where can they get copies of your book? Oh, our book is available on iUniverse.com and also on Amazon.com. And they also can reference your website, which I think would be a, a good place for them to start and get acquainted with you. What is the name of that? The website for the book is thethirdjourney.com. And your blog site is olderhood.com, correct? 
It is. Fabulous. Well, great visiting with you. Thank you, Bill and Robin, for joining me today and sharing your story. This is, again, a book I would certainly highly recommend for anybody that's over the age of 18, (laughs) anybody that's thinking about retiring someday. Bill, Robin, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Jay. My pleasure. Best of luck and hope to hear from you in the future. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.